Hey, it's Becca. And it's Nancy. And this is Insane Investigations. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you so much for listening. Today we are going to be covering a bit of a tragic case. Yeah, definitely. I think we're going to start off first with a quick trigger warning. It does involve children. But we do have a very, very special guest that we want to introduce. I'm so excited. (laughs) We're so excited because we've been planning to have this person on with us since like we started the podcast. Yeah. So this is Lauren. Lauren, say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. (laughs) So the reason that we have Lauren on for this specific case is because... She actually studied this case while she was in college, so she has a lot of extra details to add to the case that we wouldn't have been able to just find while we were researching. We're really, really excited to have you. Thank you so, so much for coming. Thanks for having me. (laughs) But yeah, so before we get into it, I just want to remind everybody that we still have a giveaway going for our 100 Spotify followers. It's creeping up. It is. It is creeping up. We're almost there and we just want to remind everybody as well that we do have like a little q a in our spotify now so if you ever want to leave any feedback you can leave it there now it might be easier than emailing mm-hmm. and yeah before we get into it nancy do you want to yeah. kind of kick off with the whole paranormal yes so obviously if you listen to last week's episode me and rebecca were talking about some of our insane kind of paranormal experiences and within that i was mentioning a certain college that was burnt down that me and my friends used to always go to and one of my friends that used to go to it quite frequently with me was lauren and i think i actually mentioned you in one of the stories so i was just wondering since you're here today if you don't mind sharing some of the crazy shit that happened when we went there yeah for sure yeah i definitely remember like one time in particular that we went and we were wandering around and we suddenly just kind of felt eerie and creeped out and we were kind of starting to leave because we were like okay like fuck this this. is too much (laughs) yeah and as we were walking down we were walking by like this metal door i guess and we're walking along and we're just like trying to leave and next of all there's like banging on this metal fucking door yeah and we're like oh my god what is that you know and we kind of stopped and we froze momentarily and we were kind of like listening to see if we could hear it again and it happened again and again and we were like okay no like let's get out of here and then we were kind of like okay maybe we're freaking out for no reason maybe there's people here they're just trying to like you know pull a joke kind of thing whatever yeah but we like had a look around and there was like no one else around we like kind of actually spent some time trying to find these other people and there was no one there like and we were just freaked out yeah that was (laughs) fucked and then literally on the way up nathan gave us the lift now he doesn't want to come onto the podcast to talk about it unfortunately he was already scarlet after that one time he (laughs) made an appearance but he was saying as well because he obviously came to that college with me and lauren a few times as well when i first got with him which i did mention last time also but oh yeah even he was saying about the whole thing that i was talking about with our phone batteries yeah like draining and then like the snapchat videos going missing just all of that and then the time as well the time the way the time felt all like it was almost like we would be there for hours 
but when we would check the time like it wouldn't kind of show that we've been there for hours you know and Um, explain to becca can you remember the trek that it took to get up there oh it was a whole thing you know like we used to have to walk down this big long road and like burrow through bushes and (laughs) And this is is her she hasn't heard what i said last week this is literally just lauren's memory memory (laughs) it hasn't even been released yet so there's no way no and i didn't tell her what i said either about this but like yeah we used to have to like squish through gates and hop walls it was a whole trek and then we used to have to walk through this like mucky ass field and we would actually we would be destroyed coming home and we actually used to go to tesco bathrooms to like clean off our shoes before (laughs) we went home like because yeah and because like we were so young at that point that like we would have been asked questions (laughs) (laughs) it looked like we were literally out burying bodies (laughs) in the field we were covered in mud by the time we got back like we were always filthy yeah but yeah so it just like didn't make any sense with like the time just yeah being gone yeah it just didn't because it was whatsoever. big wasn't it yeah, yeah it was, it was huge. huge it was huge and it used to be really awkward as well because parts of it had obviously caved in yeah. so we would have had to like find like other routes to get to certain places in yeah. this college as well because there was no fucking stairs where there was supposed to be stairs so we would have to kind of find other ways to get up on certain levels of the college like you know yeah and that would take ages you know yeah okay so i think we'll just jump into the case and i'm gonna start off with who jamie boulder is along with robert thompson and john venables so james patrick boulder was born on march 16th 1990 to parents denise and ralph boulder in kirkby merryside england on february 12th 1993 jamie and his mother were having a normal day and happened to go shopping at new strand shopping center both stood hand in hand in the butcher shop until denise briefly let go of jamie's hand to pay for groceries when she went to take his hand again jamie was gone and a quote from her is i should have never let go of his hand that was the biggest mistake of my life oh my god you can only imagine Mm like two seconds to turn around if i'm not mistaken as well actually she said in an interview before that jamie was getting very like restless in the shop so she was literally ready to live and it was just yeah. that she went you know, oh, you know i'll run into the butchers really quick before we live and like as you would do you know what I yeah mean? Like, like you wouldn't think anything exactly of it. but like it's mad to think that if it had it been a couple of minutes earlier that she went and did that that like yeah. he could have potentially not been yeah you know this couldn't yeah. this, this might not have happened, happened. Yeah. yeah you don't think in a busy shopping center yeah. that somebody is just gonna grab your child and no. nobody's gonna know yeah, well, like, that's it like yeah you think anybody would be terrified to just yeah. grab a kid yeah. yeah exactly so robert thompson was the fifth of seven children born on august 23rd 1983 in liverpool england his father left quite early on in his life leading his mother to suffer from depression and alcoholism and she even attempted suicide so he wasn't in a great environment him or any of his siblings yeah i think as well actually i read on a source before that prior to his father leaving he actually used to like domestically abuse the mother in front of the children oh my as well. god so like he was definitely like exposed to a lot of violence, violence like in his life yeah. in his life he didn't have a great life basically yeah. no definitely not venables was also born in liverpool on august 13th 1982 10 days before robert was which is kind of freaky yeah like thompson venable's parents were separated but his father was still in his life his mother was known to be quite harsh towards him 
I think in particular him with regards to even his other siblings. Mm-hmm. She was also accused of getting around a lot and being spotted with multiple different men, which in the 80s that was like a, a big thing. Like she would, yeah. like people wouldn't have wanted to associate with her. Like. And to be honest, it's a very like inconsistent environment for a child do you know what i mean yeah. like that kind of thing exactly like and you know kids are kids like their parents are probably gossiping and then yeah. they're going into school and telling him like oh your mom's a slut or whatever yeah yeah, you know what I mean? yeah so, they pick up on them so venables and thompson were actually really good friends and often got involved in petty crime together such as stealing small items from shops however on february 12th 1993 the two decided to take their criminal activity to a much larger scale the pair skipped school and travelled to New Strand Shopping Centre where they began stealing items and throwing them down the escalators before deciding to commit the most horrific crime a child of that age could even think of. Like, they're 10 years old at this point. Yeah, like, like they're babies. Yeah. They're babies. They first attempted to lure a three-year-old girl and her two-year-old brother away from their mother. Though they were unsuccessful, Thompson and Venables didn't give up. So I think the mother, like, seeing him like yeah. trying to like lure them away and she got involved yeah and she told them off and they were kind of momentarily scared but not scared enough not scared you know, to leave yeah and fuck off and all and actually denise stated on a talk show that they had actually tried to do the same thing a couple of weeks prior to this and again same thing i think it was the parents noticed and they were kind of deterred yeah. from actually doing that like like two ten year olds yeah like they have barely some, lived like they've barely yeah. lived and they're like they've more balls than <laughs> anybody i know yeah. literally like honestly so they ended up like they obviously walked away from them two kids and mm. then they just spotted jamie in the butcher shop with his mom they seen denise let go of his hand and they just grabbed him yeah they just grabbed him denise in sheer panic ran to security and explained that jamie was missing before describing him and what he was wearing obviously Mm -hmm. security announced that there was a missing boy over the intercom however there was no sign of two-year-old jamie anywhere by 4 15 p.m that evening jamie was officially reported missing to the local police during denise's panic jamie was being carried out of the center crying for his mother yet nobody stopped or questioned the boy and i think actually as well the detective who was working the case said that it took the boys just over a minute and a half to get him out of the shop yeah so like can you imagine like being a mother in that situation and you're completely panicked and you're like searching for your child and then you're thinking oh i have to go and report this but they're like your child's already gone before you've even gotten the chance to do that because they were so determined they knew exactly what they were doing they like didn't hesitate whatsoever like no for them to get him out of the shop so quick quick. do you know what i mean like it's madness and to think like people in a busy shopping center yeah. could see these two 10 year olds dragging carrying, this child yeah. and he's screaming yeah. like witnesses did later come out and say that they had seen it and said that he looked distressed and that the two boys were hitting him and kicking him in plain sight but nobody decided to interfere i think a lot of them maybe presumed that they were brothers and yeah. like but still like yeah still they like you'd think somebody would be like well where's their parents yeah yeah exactly and that's the thing i think as well the police end up interviewing like over 30 witnesses that seen these two boys with yeah. james like and i think there was actually a few that on their trek kind of did question and they lied to them very fluently 
and as far as I'm aware the lies that they fed these people were that oh this is our little brother we're just taking him home yeah, yeah. and like I suppose on one hand you might Children be like throw tantrums yeah all exactly like and on one hand you might be like well that's a bit weird but at the same time you probably wouldn't really think that of it and apparently like they were so convincing in their lives that that's why no one actually interfered with them yeah, doing yeah. this like, I had no fear yeah. at all like they were just like right we're just gonna do this and yeah yeah and once again like i know we've mentioned this in other cases as well but you have to also think about like what them witnesses must be feeling yeah. now like the guilt yeah. actually a lot of them ended up committing suicide over this really yeah, yeah and a lot of them Honestly, have experienced though. extremely bad mental health issues over this because as you said genuinely i actually don't think i'd be able to cope yeah no like honestly. i'm not even saying that to be funny or anything yeah. like just i don't know what i'd do but that's the thing because they're so young you wouldn't really think that there was anything sinister happening like do you know what yeah. i mean yeah like even we'll get into later on yeah. what other people thought about yeah. the fact that it was two young boys. Yeah. yeah. So Denise was obviously distraught. She was looking for him constantly, couldn't find him anywhere, not knowing that within minutes, like his fate had already been sealed. Yeah. So the two boys walked Jamie down to a secluded area by the canal and they knocked him over where he ended up hitting his head. And while Jamie was on the ground crying, a woman actually walked by and saw what was happening. But same as the other witnesses, she just kind of did nothing. Did nothing, continued along her way. Venables and Thompson then pulled a two-year-old's hood over his head to hide the injury. Two more witnesses came forward later and confessed seeing the boy's cuts on his face and they did not report it either. As the three boys wandered down the streets of London, witnesses admitted to seeing Jamie laughing while others said he was screaming for his mother while Thompson kicked him in the ribs. Just the abuse, like, like yeah. it's so fucked up. Two. Mm. Yeah. Another woman saw Thompson punch and shake Jamie, but just close her curtains to block it out. Eventually, an elderly woman could see the state that Jamie was in and approached the boys to see what was going on. The two older boys claimed to have just found Bulger like this. Unfortunately, the woman did believe it and told them to take the toddler to the police station. So they basically played it off like they were just trying to help. Yeah. Later that night, when the woman saw the news, she called the police and reported what she had seen earlier that evening. Venable Thompson and Bulger then walked into two different stores where they interacted with shopkeepers who, though suspicious of the older boys, let them go. Then Venables and Thompson came upon two older boys that they knew. These boys asked who the toddler was and Venables replied that he was Thompson's brother and that they were taking him home. The two boys took Jamie to a railway where his torture and murder took place at around 6pm. They hit him with bricks and stones, they put blue paint in his eye, kicked him, put batteries in his mouth before finally hitting Bulger over the head with a 22 pound iron bar which resulted in 10 skull fractures. Another thing as well that there's later stuff about forensic evidence on this, mm-hmm. Thompson repeatedly kicked Jamie in the face to the point oh. that he left the indents of his buckles off his shoes on the toddler's face. Oh my that God. Is, that is horrific. I have literally no words of that. It's beyond like, fucked. He wouldn't have been fully developed. Like no. his skull wouldn't have been... Yeah. like the same way an adult yes. yeah. school would be like, like a strong they they must have been still hitting him after he passed, yeah. passed away yeah definitely all in all Bulger sustained 42 injuries to his face head and body he was so badly battered 
Authorities later concluded that there was no way to tell which injury represented the fatal blow. Eventually, Venables and Thompson placed Bulger's dead body across the train tracks in the hopes of making the whole thing look like an accident. And it was confirmed by a forensic pathologist later that Bulger was dead at this point. But yeah, they put him on the train tracks in the hopes of making the whole thing look like an accident and abandoned the scene before a train came along and severed the toddler in two. Which that's even crazy oh my God. to think that two ten year old boys could even think that far ahead to be like even though it's so sinister on some level it is kind of a childish thing like it's almost like trying to hide what they've done you know like in in that kind of way where you just kind of really quick go oh and toss something to the side to try hide it yeah but at the same time the fact that it is so sinister like it's insane you know it's actually insane like i can't even imagine what they thought when they saw that like even that in itself would fuck me up but like i am 23 and i couldn't imagine doing something that horrific to a person no yeah i couldn't either and that's what freaks me out the most Mm. is that they were 10 when Mm. i was 10 i was watching cartoons on tv and playing with my tamagotchi yeah literally literally playing hopscotch outside yeah with my friends and getting fucking slush puppies off the ice cream van yeah do you know what i mean i was not thinking about kidnapping beating murdering yeah. and throwing a fucking toddler in front of a train yeah. yeah like that thought would not even exist yeah in my mind not even now would that thought even cross my mind let alone i was fucking 10 my biggest worry when i was 10 was i hope it doesn't rain so i can go out and play literally literally that was yeah. my biggest worry yeah yeah as a 10 year old honestly so the next day after witnesses came forward police searched the canal only to find nothing and that was actually one of their biggest worries as well because the canal was so close to the shopping center there was a stage where police were worried that maybe james actually wandered off by himself and the possibility that he may have fell into the canal into the canal um but obviously that's not what happened yeah jamie's parents were suspected initially however cct footage of the two boys walking jamie out of the shopping center quickly cleared them when the cctv footage was released to the media the case blew up and nobody could believe that two children could be capable of such a horrific crime and the detective working on the case actually even said like at that point like he didn't even really consider that this yeah. was what happened you know yeah and that's i think both yeah. parents actually were saying that they thought maybe it was a joke gone wrong and they were actually relieved when they seen that that's, it was two young boys that's what i was gonna say i yeah. remember seeing an interview with the mom and yeah. the mom was saying when she was first shown the cctv she was yeah. like relieved because she was like oh it must be two kids they yeah. might have been bringing them out to play like yeah because you would yeah. think that though. exactly yeah and that's like they they figured that if it was just two young boys that you know again What's maybe the it was, worst that could happen yeah maybe it was a joke gone wrong kind of thing or maybe they just wanted to play and that yeah. everything would be all right and that they you know they would eventually have their child back home with them yeah because you, you wouldn't imagine this yeah exactly so two days after his disappearance jamie bulger's body was found on the railway track 20 yards from the police station and actually this railway track was actually quite close in vicinity to thompson's home oh yeah so you know the way in you see it in like movies and stuff or generally in true crime cases also that some killers actually it's generally with serial killers but nonetheless they have like 
a radius of like yeah. where they like to operate and it's just interesting to think that that's kind of relevant to this case even in though way, it was it, it all kind of happened in the same yeah. general area mm-hmm. like they didn't go like do I say maybe if it was an adult now I know you're saying serial killers operate yeah. in the same area but say if it was an adult they might say okay there'll be you know there'll be too many chances I'll get yeah. caught if I leave the body here or exactly. if I do if I commit the crime here yeah. like let me kidnap this child and bring it far away yeah and then do whatever horrible horrible yeah. things like yeah. do you know what I mean but it was kind of a childish move to do it so so close so yeah. close yeah the weapons that the boys used were found scattered around the tracks with some evidence to test the police began checking absentee lists in all the skills and potential suspects were identified and I think actually they were looking at a lot of young offenders between the age of 12 and 15 yeah because I um, wouldn't think somebody so young any younger than that would. exactly and some of these suspects were actually reported by their own parents as well that they were like on the yeah. bank that day and actually what led the police to start to question that these two boys actually were younger was that they found footage from a shop or a garage or something it was some sort of business on their trek to the railway tracks and there was a wall like a low wall uh, that they were walking by and they used this kind of as like an indicator as to what height and then that's when they started thinking like these two boys could actually be a lot younger than what we're thinking that they are I say that was such a shock as well yeah crazy we'll have photos on our Instagram as well you'll be able to see in the CCTV footage like they don't actually look that much taller than him now even though there's eight years in the difference you wouldn't really think that there's any more than that yeah you can tell very clearly they're all three young boys basically yeah there was an anonymous call made to the police by a family friend of john venables who had been in the venables household that evening yeah and she had seen john return home and realised that there was a potential that he had been skipping school. This was a regular thing that these two boys did. And she was kind of vigilant to his appearance. He was very dishevelled. He was dirty. She noticed paint on his jacket, all this type of stuff. And she kind of let it go, didn't think out of it. But when this all broke out into the media, she really started to question, like, could this have been him so she made a phone call to the police and basically said you know listen I have a family friend and there's a potential that this boy might be who you're looking for yeah and that actually led them then to as we said ring up the school of John Venables and that was when the headmistress turned around and said oh yeah no he he was absent on Friday and he was ditching school with his friend Robert Thompson so that's why they ended up then going and yeah yeah pursuing that lead so the police then visited the homes of both boys they sent two separate teams out to each household and they then obviously gathered all the evidence their clothes that they were wearing and from this they found blood on thompson's shoes and the paint on venable's jacket Mm mm-hmm and both of them were then brought to separate police stations and then interviewed then separately and they were very quick to turn on each other and yeah. both blame each other for whose idea it was and ah. you know why this kind of 
came about and the blame from the public kind of switches back and forth yeah. even now people are still unsure unsure and yeah. kind of switching between who whose idea it yeah. initially was yeah which even that in itself that's quite childish yeah, yeah. like behavior you know you get caught in and it's suddenly like oh no it wasn't me it was it was yeah. my friend so there was a point in the interviews where venables was very insistent that they weren't at the strand that day and it was only that a shop manager came forward to the police he basically said that after the weekend he went back to the shop and he reviewed the security tapes and he noticed that there was two boys outside of the shop and they had their hands pressed against the glass like the display window of the shop and from this the police were able to go and lift these fingerprints from the glass and confirmed that they were John Venable's fingerprints and that's when they turned around to John in the interview and basically said well we know that you're at the shop that day because we have evidence to suggest that you were and that's when he kind of started saying oh yeah like we were but like we never we never took a kid and whatever else yeah yeah eventually he then did confess and he was quoted to be saying I did kill him what about his mum will you tell her that I'm sorry which it's a bit of a weird thing to say yeah yeah like straight away like yeah okay i did it will you tell his mom sorry yeah in the interviews like in the you can hear some of the tapes and certain like documentaries and stuff like that he at this point was actually crying and his mom was comforting him because obviously you have to have a parent or a guardian he's a minor exactly and you know that was his whole thing he was like oh will you tell her i'm sorry like Like acting like a small child so one second pause you weren't a fucking small innocent child Mm. when you were fucking beating the shit out of a toddler and murdering him and doing some horrific ass fucking shit like no tears so now now that you're (laughs) yeah literally and now that you're fucking caught suddenly you're like mommy like fucking this this suddenly you're you're a baby fuck off some of your crocodile tears exactly like but that's even some of the interviewers were kind of saying like you could tell that they knew what they were doing why why reacting the way that they were reacting and thompson was very oh i'm getting all the blame and that that's literally a quote of what he said yeah um, when they started kind of saying like you know whose idea was this and da, 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 and whatever else and he was very quick to be like oh i'm getting all the blame and like very childish like crying you know yeah like almost playing the victim exactly and that's like the detective who was interviewing him was saying like it was very clear like what he was doing to mm. me like what he was trying to play up yeah you know? yeah so initially thompson refused to confess and he insisted that he had nothing to do with it it was all john it was his idea he was just going along with it he told john to give the kid back all this sort of stuff but eventually during an interview thompson accidentally described what jamie had been wearing the day that he disappeared and this proved that he definitely was involved in the murder because this information hadn't been disclosed to the to the public so both boys were then charged and a trial was set for nine months later and they were actually 11 by the time they went to trial on the first day of the trial many people showed up outside the courthouse and they were demanding for these children to be released but not because they thought that they were innocent it was because they wanted to go at these children they were shouting things like kill the bastards a life for a life which i mean i don't want to condone beating the shit out of kids but if there was ever a time yeah <laughs> to beat the shit out of a child yeah. it's 
these two. If no. I was gonna beat the shit out of a child, it would definitely. If anyone would get it, it would be them. Then. It would be them. Like honestly, yeah. 100%. Like they need to be far, far away mm-hmm. from any other. Because can you imagine if these ten-year-olds are capable of doing this shit? And not only that, but they have like they're able to calculate yeah. and think of like oh. You know, let's try and play off our age yeah. now that we're caught, and let's yeah. try act like these exactly. small innocent children yeah. again. So, actually, while we're kind of talking about their mindset and their way of thinking, yeah, some of the things that I would have studied in college. Obviously, I'm no professional. Just gonna put that out. Yeah, um, <laughs> was yeah, in anyways. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but some of the stuff that I was studying was based on cognitive development, right, and. Because obviously, you know, if you're interviewing children or putting children on the stand or anything even remotely like this, you have to determine whether they can tell the truth from a lie, whether they can tell right from wrong, things like this, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a psychologist called Piaget who studied or I guess came up with the theories on cognitive development and he determined that there was four stages of cognitive development in children and the one that we would kind of obviously be focused on based on these boys ages is from seven to eleven years it's called concrete operational right and at this stage they can reason logically about concrete events and they lack like abstract thinking kind of thing because that's not fully developed that's the next stage okay but you could then base this information and say they knew what they were doing they knew how to plan this and like there was no way that they didn't realize the amount of pain that they were putting this child through you know no, like yeah. there was no possible way that they couldn't condone that because they can think logically do you know yeah, what i mean they can, the kid was just playing a lot of distress of course yeah so but you could technically argue that they weren't able to think about the consequences of their actions they may have known what the idea of death was but maybe not how concrete it was and there's a lot of arguments around the back like, and forth were they old enough to understand exactly yeah. what the outcome was? exactly like were they always planning to kill this child or yeah. was it just they be him yeah to the point where like, obviously realized that he was gonna die exactly yeah so like obviously they planned to take a child because that shows because they were trying to do it weeks prior they tried to do it with other children that day but you could technically argue like now listen i'm not trying to justify their behavior whatsoever because there's no there's no way to even try because there's they murdered like an infant do you know what i mean they they murdered a toddler there's no taking away from that exactly but you know there is certain arguments that can be made in regards to how far ahead they were thinking yeah you know what i mean how much they would have actually thought true yeah. or to what extent really exactly so apparently throughout the course of the trial john venables was inconsolable and was described as having hysterical outbursts thomas on the other hand was the complete opposite he remained unfazed and remorseless earning the nickname the boy who did not cry from the media blake morrison author of as if a crime a trial a question of childhood points out venables had a temper and had been known to lose control and had done some pretty weird things and it was just as likely that he was the instigator actually on this as well Mm -hmm. there had been incidences in john's school previous to the school that he went to with thompson right right so he used to actually throw these tantrums or have these outbursts in school and 
now I'm quoting this very vaguely there was an incident in a school where he like had like a arts and crafts scissors and he started like cutting holes in his clothing and oh. threatening other kids I think there was an incident as well where he actually tried to choke out another child oh my god and had to be physically hauled off of him or her I, I'm not sure what gender the child was that he yeah. was trying to do this to but he, this was an active thing he used to act out in very violent ways and very unusual ways with like you know cutting holes in his clothes and yeah. I think at one point as well he put like it was I don't know if it was paper over his face or a bag over his face it was just really strange, strange behaviours from this child you yeah. know it's very much like attention seeking though yeah. isn't it in a yeah. sense yeah Court appointed psychiatrists were called in at one point and determined that neither of the boys were sociopaths. None of these psychiatrists could determine a motive for either of the boys to want to commit such a horrific crime. Both John and Robert were convicted, making them the youngest people in Britain to have committed that crime in 250 years. Whoa. Yeah. That is a long, <laughs> long, long time. time. So, even though psychologists obviously have never properly determined like why these boys did what they did obviously you know it's such a fucking crazy thing to even happen but obviously because it's such a crazy thing like obviously psychologists are gonna ask why you know yeah they were gonna want to know yeah and one of the arguments you could technically make is because of their home lives yeah so there's a psychologist called Bolby and he came up with the theory that's called attachment theory right okay so this is really based on a child and the attachment that they form with a primary carer because it's very archaic in the sense of when he studied this i can't remember the exact general year and what i think was like the 50s or something so it used to be called maternal deprivation but obviously that's because at that point that's who would have been consistently taking care of kids but it applies to primary carers anyway yeah so there's a thing called privation and this basically means that a child either never had the opportunity to form an attachment with their primary carer or that it was distorted in some type of way so things like what we kind of talked about abuse neglect all this sort of stuff even divorce parental separation can can contribute to it and a lot of the effects of this would be like they don't do as well academically they have a higher rate of behavioral issues they have unstable relationships and they actually they start having sexual relationships a lot earlier mm-hmm. they have, like generally will have a lower socioeconomic status and will like have psychological issues obviously as an adult and so you could argue that these two boys were experiencing privation they didn't form or they had a distorted yeah. attachment with their primary care based on their childhood exactly yeah and this is where maternal deprivation comes into it is what it's called and there's two main consequences but the one that really applies here is called affectionless psychotopy so oh, this right. essentially means that this child has an inability to experience guilt or deeper feelings for other people so they lack oh, an empathy um, and it interferes with their relationships and all this kind and of stuff and obviously that would also explain why they weren't deemed as sociopaths yeah when they had their because they lack empathy and remorse yeah and it's also it's highly associated with criminality as well which yeah. definitely links in with they were even aside from obviously what they're yeah. after doing now you know to jamie 
there was obviously all the other things that they were robbing, they were stealing, exactly. they were still doing exactly. criminal shit. Yeah. And obviously, this is not to say that everyone with separated parents is going to act like this. No, of course There not. is some sort of trend. Yeah. 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 So Venables and Thompson were then sentenced to serve at Her Majesty's Penitentiary, which was standard protocol for juvenile offenders convicted of murder or manslaughter. This is an indefinite sentence which has no maximum sentence. However, it does have a minimum which is determined on a case-by-case basis. In this case, if the killers were deemed not to be a danger to society after eight years in juvie, they would be eligible to be released. Throughout their time in prison, neither John or Robert showed any signs of violent behaviour, so in 2001, when they were 18, they were released. After being released from prison, they were both given new identities and granted legal anonymity for life due to the attention they received during the trial. Oh my god, that is such bullshit. I am fucking sorry that pissed me the fuck off. It gets worse. So, while they were in this detention centre or whatever you want to call it, they were allowed like day releases where they would go what? on trips outside what? What yeah. is this fucking summer camp <laughs> and, and i can't remember the exact amount of months but it wasn't very long where they were in there and they were getting out for day trips like they were being taken to like football games and like excuse me yeah. and i guess the whole idea tours. <laughs> the idea around this the is obviously tours. <laughs> The idea around this is obviously to like still be able to like acclimate back into society kind of thing but i don't think that this should no. have been done in this particular case no. because the type of people that they would have had in there would <laughs> by no means have committed even if they were violent acts anything on this scale no no and as we kind of covered like there was nothing saying like this in 250, 250 years yeah. yeah you know so like that but that's even denise was very distraught by this outcome yeah and she was basically saying that she felt that because they never really were being punished that they were likely to reoffend. she's been saying this since the moment that they and i agree with that and yeah, I, I mean they did <laughs> well one of them did okay. reoffend, you know but like it's crazy to think that this woman who has lost her child has to then sit there and it's completely out of her, her control like yeah. her son's killers aren't being punished the way that they should have been punished. and the fact that they were given anonymity as yeah. well like that's such a fucking joke yeah like let them face the fucking music for what they did yeah. i don't care if they were 10 yeah like they're not innocent i'm sorry i don't yeah. see them as children i like they should have yeah. been tried as adults yeah. i think yeah and, and normally I never agree with that yeah children no. being tried as adults but I feel like in this case yeah. yes yeah. they fucking should have been that's the thing as well like Denise she said on a talk show before that she was very conflicted about <laughs> calling them killers like you know in, in the sense of because they were children Fuck and it. it was only mm. then that there was someone who works in the police kind of thing I can't right. remember his exact status or anything like that but he called them killers and then that kind of reaffirmed for her that she is allowed to view them in that way yeah because that's why i fucking view them too because they fucking are (laughs) children they're killers they are they should not no yeah i'm watching signs of a psychopath on discovery plus i love no psycho no we're not sponsored or anything (laughs) by discovery plus but 
it's such a great show and it really opened my eyes to what exactly like psychopaths are because yeah. I feel like the word is just thrown around so much definitely like just so loosely it's just thrown all willy nilly yeah. Yeah. yeah everyone's a psycho but like man real psychopaths are fucked up yeah like it is scary how yeah. fucked up they are yeah and I definitely feel like the two of these kids yeah were psychopaths and they were fucked up and they just should not be in like you can't fix psychopaths yeah like no. this is just how they are yeah there's no treatment like there's that. nothing you can do yeah. there's nothing you can do to stop them they just need yeah. to be supervised like 24 7 and just be kept away from fucking people yeah. well what lauren is going to talk about next is kind of going to go into the effects that them going into hiding had on yeah. the public yeah okay so david calvert was living a normal life in the uk with his wife debbie and his children before he began to receive accusations that he was John Venables and he was living his quote new life right but not long after this comparison was made a full online hate campaign was started in Facebook groups sharing thousands of messages wrongly accusing David of being Jamie's murderer and he was quoted to say I live in constant fear that someone will kill me and my family it is an absolute nightmare we were driven out of our home by people convinced that I was John Venables living under a new identity. I tried to tell people I had nothing to do with it, but people would not listen, and we were forced to flee for our lives. I'm not John Venables, and I have no links to him whatsoever. This is destroying our lives. I've had to take my kids out of school. Police ha- then did actually confirm that Mr. Calvert is by no means John Venables. Wow. And, like... That just goes to show, is it really worth putting them in hiding? Yeah. Two horrible people who did a horrible, horrible And then there's thing. innocent people dealing with this. Yeah. Dealing with the consequences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he was just living a quiet life with his wife and his kids. And yeah. he had a similarity. And to be fair, when I looked up John Venables mm-hmm. and that picture came up of David, I thought that that was him now. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. And then when I read the article I was like oh yeah. shit it's not him so he yeah. does have a lot of similarities with them yeah. yeah but people really took it to the extreme and realistically John yeah. Venables was hiding out and nobody knew who, who he was who he actually is now we're gonna get into yeah. where John and Robert are now so Denise Jamie's mother was actually able to locate Robert Thompson in 2004 no way but she was paralysed with hatred and she didn't actually do anything with that information like she was really really angry and she ended up finding where he was in a way i don't blame her though either yeah you're not gonna drag it all up like it was something that yeah something like really really horrible that happened to you and you don't really want to drag it up like they're gone and like re-traumatize yourself see the thing is with denise as well she spent a lot of time so focused on these two boys and what they did to her son that she actually said that it started to kind of take away from her memories of her son to the point that like she wasn't able to think about her son and happy memories that she had with him anymore yeah but it was then she actually ended up writing a book and it was basically just to commemorate her son and talk about who he was as a person even though he was obviously a tiny person he didn't get to live much of a life but she ended up saying that like this really kind of it kind of breathed life back into him as a person yeah rather than 
the case like overriding who he was who he yeah. was yeah, yeah. And everybody talking about John Venables exactly. and Robert Thompson, and that's all that anybody really yeah. remembered the case for was two horrible ten-year-olds yeah, and exactly. not the poor two-year-old like. Yeah. So Thompson is believed to be living a quiet life and just kind of lays low, just kind of got on with it. Yeah. Pretended it never happened, but Venables kind of took a different approach to life. In 2010, he went back to prison for downloading images of various kinds of sexual abuse being inflicted, specifically on male toddlers. Yeah. Duh. This is what I mean. Like you said, they have no fucking remorse. They have no guilt. They don't give a flying fuck. No. And it's interesting to think in the sense of, obviously, this is, I know it's with serial killers, but it's a common thing for them to like relive the horrific crimes Mm. that they've committed. Yeah. And this just really seems like that's what he was doing. That's what, yeah, yeah, exactly. Three years later, he was eligible for parole, at which point Ralph Bulger told the parole board, sometimes you feel like you're having a heart attack. It's just a big knot in your chest that's been there since day one. Venables was released, but he was imprisoned again in November 2017 when more images were found, along with a paedophile manual oh, fuck off. on his computer which included instructions no. on how to have sex with a child in various different ways. What a fucking sick cunt. To be honest, the fact that there's even something like that out there no. is just no. literally no. so it's vile. Like, it had so to be the dark web. This, it had to yeah. be the dark web. Which we're going to definitely do an episode on. So it does get worse. He was only sentenced to three years and four months in prison. He was eligible for parole in 2020 and I guess one good thing came out of the pandemic because he couldn't have his parole hearing due to COVID. Mm -hmm. So his parole hearing has actually been postponed multiple times because then there was like a lot of shifting between prime ministers and a lot of different things going on in the government with Brexit and things like that. That's kind of postponing everybody's hearings. So as of right now, no date has been set. It is coming up like his lawyers are really, really fighting for his hearing right now because a new law is coming into effect where certain criminals, people who have been arrested for murder, manslaughter and things like that, Mm -hmm. will no longer actually face a parole board. They will now face the Secretary of State to determine their release. So... His legal team is trying to get his parole here and complete it as soon as possible to try to get it done before this law comes into effect. But fingers crossed it gets postponed. Yeah. And we will update you guys if we do hear that and with regards to the case. Because obviously I know a lot of people are kind of dying to know what's going to happen. Yeah. I hope that new law comes into effect before he gets a chance to get his fucking parole here. Because fuck him, he doesn't deserve to be let out ever again. Yeah. And to be honest, the sentence that he originally got, like, it he, just shows how lax the laws are when yeah. it comes to stuff like this. Yeah. And it's disgusting. It's fucking it's vile. so fucked mm. up. Like, he should be in prison for life. Yeah. yeah. Like, there shouldn't even be a question about it. No. Like, not to get all fucking political with it, but there's literally people who go to prison for longer for growing a weed plant for medical use. Than yeah. there is with pedophiles, rapists, so on and so forth, and yeah. I just think that's so beyond it's fucked, so up. fucked up. It's so fucked up. So fucked up. But 
this entire case was just completely yeah. fucked up. Like Wild. it was just yeah horrible. That's why I just did a trigger warning at the start because yeah. there was periods where we could have done trigger warnings, but I think just the whole thing was just completely just and horrific. Like it was just terrible like even today when i was at work like normally i really look forward like i'm normally like really energized about the podcast and i was really excited because we were having lauren yeah when i thought about the case i was just getting so sad i was like oh my god this is gonna be so depressing that's even like when i was studying this in college like there was times where it was very difficult to be researching this and like to be looking into this because it's there's no words like do you know what i mean and like obviously the best word that has been used for this is fucking sinister because that's that, really yeah. it was it was so yeah. horrifically fucking sinister just insane but we hope we made it bearable for you and that's why yeah. it's kind of a short episode we kind of narrowed it down to the facts and what we thought was the most important points in the case because it is a bad one and nobody yeah. wants to be listening to hours upon hours of this shit (laughs) but we will link all the resources that we have in the episode description as always so if there is more information that you're looking for there is plenty there to look through there's a 60 minutes interview as well that lauren used to research so we'll link that in there as well well thank you so much for coming lauren we really thank appreciate you. it thanks really for having appreciate me all the information that you had yeah so no problem <laughs> thank you so much and yeah if you want to check any of our social media it's all in the episode description below so until next time bye, bye.